Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about deciding whose voice to listen to. Exactly. You've been hearing voices lately? Is that the problem? (laughs) They're everywhere. You can't, I mean, you just can't ignore all the voices coming at you from social media. It's Mm -hmm. impossible. Yep. I was just talking to someone the other day about basically sharing that sentiment that if you're doing anything remotely interesting, someone's going to criticize it. And criticism is not necessarily bad, but in these modern times with social media and being constantly attached to our cell phones and so forth, it, uh, it can get pretty overwhelming, especially if you are the type, and I think most people are this type, where you can get a hundred pats on the back and then one person just like gives you the middle finger and you just can't think about it. It's all you can think about. You're like, oh, how, you know, I must change your mind, you know. <laughs> so, happens to us all. Right. And it's hard, you know, if you've got a big idea and you're trying to spread it, there's going to be people who don't get the joke and help sometimes helpfully explain to you how you should organize your business in a way oh, that's Oh, I love those. Yeah, isn't that nice? <laughs> Yeah. Especially if it comes from their area of quote-unquote expertise. In other words, you should switch up your business to follow their system. And oh, by the way, let me just sell you this system that you should follow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, love those. You've got everything from trusted advisors whose opinion about certain things uh, you take as gospel pretty much. And then there's people on the other end of the spectrum that are just complete trolls. And there's a really big gray area in the middle where it can be exhausting if you don't sort of think through like which people are going to listen to because there's no shortage of armchair quarterbacks that are happy to tell you how to run your life in business. It's like you need a set of filters. Maybe the filters are different for everybody, but maybe, you know, some of the ways you develop those filters, we could talk about that. It's how do you decide who to listen to? Whose opinion matters? Well, how do you do it? (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. The minute I said that, I thought, do I have a system? I got to say, you know, I'm not perfect. I've, I've let the occasional quasi troll get to me from time to time. But I think usually it's I like to try to figure out where somebody is coming from. So if somebody's giving me feedback on something and it feels genuine and it's delivered in a construct and I'm talking about constructive feedback here um, and it's delivered in a genuine way, I pretty much always pay attention I mean, whether I agree with them or not is another thing, but I've had people give me constructive feedback that really made me think and was really helpful. And then I've had other people try to give me feedback where I just, I shut it down in the sense that I said, thank you, because I always do that. I mean, thank you. Thank you for the feedback because somebody took the time to give me that feedback. And I'm not talking about the trolls. We don't thank trolls, but I mean, people who genuinely think they're trying to help you. And then... For me, it's I I shut that door. If it comes from a place that feels like self-interest, I shut the door. I'm like, you know what? This is not about me. This is about them. And here's a classic example of that. So I've had this happen more than once where somebody is, is a writer and they like to ghost blog posts, for example. And so I've had them take one of my blog posts and rewrite it and send it to me and say, this is what I could do for you. And I'm just so offended by that. 
<laughs> I just, I mean, I am, you know, because it's, it's, I put a lot of thought into that. And I, I, I think about that and I thought, you just wasted your time. Now, the flip side is I really respect that somebody cared enough to say, you know what, I'm not going to just send you blah, 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 blah that I can do for you. I'm actually going to show you. So I appreciate that. But if they'd asked me first, we could have had a dialogue and they might have sold me on something. But instead, you know, they rewrote something without knowing how I felt about it first. So that's the kind of thing I would just ignore. For me, it's a different category. When, when people are really just providing feedback as a, an avenue to sales, I'm not saying that people can't like cold email me and have it work because it does sometimes. Like if, if somebody cold emails me and, you know, they word it just right and, and you know, so on and so forth, it's, it's fine. Like that can work on me. Like I'm not, it doesn't offend me that someone emailed me without asking first. I'm the type of person who'll just hang up on a telemarketer without saying a word. I just hang up. I, like I don't, I have no, right. Like I have no, right. I don't feel guilty about that in the least click. So when I get something like that, I just, you know, immediately delete it. If it's like what you said, you know, he's like, oh boy, person wasted a lot of time, delete. I don't think everything requires a response. But to your point, I want to call one thing out that, that you did mention. If someone does send me, like the way that you put it, I liked, they, they think they're being helpful and they might accidentally be super insulting and uh, presumptuous, but they, it seems like it's coming from a genuine place, even though it's super annoying. So a lot of times I'll be like, start to type up an email and like explain why no, that's I thought of that, I feel like saying, obviously I thought of that and I decided against it. Like I've never heard of an RSS feed or, you know, someone's like, oh, your, your site doesn't have RSS. It'd be so great if it had RSS because then, you know, they tell, explain to me what RSS <laughs> is for two pages and I'll be, you know, and I have a reason why there is no RSS feed on my site, just to pick one random thing. And I'll start typing up this email back to them and explain, 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 explain. And then I like delete it all. And I just say, thanks, send. Just like you said, where it's like, I do appreciate that someone took the time to send it in, but something like that would, it would have been a lot cooler if they sent a one line email that said, how come you don't have RSS on your site? That would have been like a way better way to engage with me. It doesn't take me, you know, five minutes to read the thing. I'm not getting irritated more and more as I read it. And they're, you know, they're just curious, like, just be curious and be like, oh, well, and I could say, you know, just, I could send back a one sentence answer. And that would be it. And both people would be like, you know, there'd be a little connection. It'd be cool. I've never been the victim of mansplaining, but it feels like what I think <laughs> mansplaining is. <laughs> oh, let me tell you. Right. Well, actually, <laughs> so I'm careful to not get reactive in those cases because I do appreciate that, that people even care. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And it's just because it's not some it's something that we don't want to hear doesn't mean we can't still be grateful that somebody felt the need to tell you. I feel like if somebody really spent an hour rewriting something I wrote and then thinking about how to present that back to me, I feel like they do deserve to be thanked for the effort. I'm not going to reward them with the result that they want because, you know, it didn't work for me. But still, it was thoughtful of them to do it. And it's not marketing as, or selling, marketing selling as usual. Mm -hmm. Yep. Going up from like sort of troll to salesy come on to mansplaining <laughs> about RSS. I think there's a, there's a level above that, which is more about the 
where it will cause me to think more about the feedback. And it's usually a, the RSS thing is, is it's no accident that I picked something technical because it a lot of times is something technical or like a design thing on your website or like the shirt I wore in a video. And it's like, okay, <laughs> this is not that big a deal. But if someone, the, the next level up from that for me is when people has an opinion about one of my ideas. And I pay very careful attention to this because I know that it's really hard for me and other, you know, anybody who's trying to communicate something, especially if it's really abstract or complex or unusual, uh, the ability to communicate it to a wide range of people is a gift. Like being able to communicate a complex idea to a, a whole bunch of different types of people from different cultures and and different languages, it's, it's brutal. So when somebody emails, here's a classic. Um, I've been on your list for two years. I, I love all of them, but you're way off base on this one. And they'll go into what feels like attack mode because email is such a, you know, it might, it might be from the right place, but email comes across pretty cold. I try really hard not to reject that out of hand. I think I'm pretty good at it these days where I'm really listening. I try and see what they're saying because it could be a gift. Like it could be that they're in some situation that I have not encountered uh, in a reader or in a student or whatever. And this could be an opportunity to open a dialogue where A, I find out I am wrong in their particular case, or they reveal to me some new angle, or they reveal to me some new niche in which uh, the idea that I'm trying to get across maybe doesn't translate so well. Like even like, yes, they, I confirm that they understood it and they're like, yeah, I understand it. It just doesn't work. And here's why it doesn't work. And I'll, I'll get into that. I even do that on Twitter. Like, so if I'll, I'll send out, you know, tweets. I've seen or, that on, you do that on Twitter. Right. If, <laughs> if somebody is naysaying, basically any kind of questioning or rejection of the idea, if you see me fight with somebody, it's because I'm in a cranky mood. I almost never do that. Um, it usually means I'm up too late. If, if you ever see me do that. <laughs> if, or too early. Normally, I'll ask them to elaborate. I'll say something like, ah, interesting. Can you elaborate? Or could you be more specific? Or I'm not 100% sure I understand where you're coming from, but I'd like to learn more. Because that, to me, that is like... That's like my job. My job is to find people who, you know, the unconverted and figure out how to convert them. So if somebody's willing to raise their hand and say, this doesn't track, this doesn't make sense to me. So I probably am not going to change my mind, although it does happen. But usually I've thought so much more about the topic than anyone who doesn't do it full time that that it's more a case of me just doing a bad job explaining it or them being in like a, an unusual situation. And usually we can be like, uh, it's pretty common for me to be able to clarify and then be like, oh, okay, now I get it. There's a level up from that where I'm working on something that I know is new and I'll be way more open to opinions. I'll ask questions before I even put something out there or I'll reach out to very particular people and kind of vet the idea with them first. So like confidants or people who I know get me, get the idea, the overall idea, uh, and not just like, total strangers on social media, just like pummeling the idea before it's even out of the gate sort of thing. That's really important. Something you just said is the people who get you. Part of, I think, deciding whose voice to listen to is having sort of your rat pack, if you will. And you decide, like the person who's always got a new idea 
right? You're, that's the person you want to go to when you have a new idea because you know they'll help you brainstorm and play with it. And then you probably also have somebody in your close circle who's a really good critic. And not from a negative place, just they look at it and go, they can see both sides. They're, they play devil's advocate. And you don't take a brand new idea to that person, right? You probably take it after you've developed it a little bit and you're still not sure. And then, then you talk to that person. So it's like having your own little band, band of brothers and sisters that you go to for those kinds of things. Because it sounds to me, and we've had this conversation both on and offline before, that you've got a group of people you can go to. Yes. This, mm-hmm. this rat pack. And I think that's, we all need that. Everybody needs something like that. Yes, absolutely. Do you think there is a danger of like echo chamber type of thinking there or like f- closing yourself into a box without realizing it because your, your little cabal of confidants are all too closely aligned or do you, do you take steps to make it diverse enough that things can get, you know, get the rough edges sanded off before releasing the idea into the world at large? I think that's entirely up to you, meaning you, the listener. It's there are people I've met who've created their own echo chambers. And the current state of politics sort of feels like that. If we're smart, what we do is we try to find different people for different things. I want somebody who's going to be critical, but I'll be damned if I'm going to bring my my beautiful baby idea <laughs> to that person for them to throw up all over it. You know, I'm <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gonna, That's right? how it feels. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I've got. It's got to be like a toddler, right? Before I take it to that person, but the, I still really value that person. I mean, there's there's a friend of mine who is, she has got, I mean, she's a creative genius in her field. And, and she has got this way of going right to the heart of things. If it's a, a really new newborn idea, I don't want to take it to her because if she doesn't like it, I'm not sure if I can take it any further because she's going to like, she's just going to kind of slam it. The flip side is once I've got it developed and I take it to her, she's really good at seeing both sides. I mean, she's she's my go to person for that kind of thing. And she's you know, she's not in my industry, which I think is really helpful. So she's not part of that kind of echo chamber. She looks at it differently. So it's it's finding those people and that you can trust. They don't have to think like you, but you have to know that whatever feedback they're giving you is coming from the right place. It's not coming from jealousy or a stunted view of the world, right? Where it's um, a zero-sum game. I try to keep those people out of my circle, period. I look for people that have a certain generosity of spirit about about them. Sure. I agree with that in the close-knit group where the sort of poverty mentality, zero-sum folks, uh, scarcity mentality, it's just not helpful to me at a certain stage. But statistically, probably 50% of the people on Twitter, let's say, are going to have that mentality. So I do still want to have a response for that, that viewpoint, that worldview. But it's tough to be collaborative at an early stage with that kind of a, that kind of a vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah, everybody has their own approach to this. But I just think ideas are they can be ethereal until it's until it's developed and you start to develop your point of view. And I kind of think when you're developing your point of view is a good time to get some feedback. When it's indefensible, like it's still too vague for you to, you just feel like there's something here. I think there's something here. And 
if you can't yet make a case for it, you need to build the case before you take it to someone who's a, your, your constructive critic friend, because you just, there's just no conversation. They just like take one swing at it and you're like, yeah, I guess it's no good. <laughs> just like, okay. <laughs> well, and then it's harder to build yourself back up, especially if, if you're the kind of person for whom this is really a life changing thing that you're thinking about. I mean, think about where you were when you made your decision to focus on hourly billing it feels like a huge leap and to, to, to take a pivot. And so you got to be strong in yourself first, I think, before you take it to other people to, to criticize. I mean, sort of I liken it to like a playwright or somebody writing a script, right? It's like get your first draft done so you can think through it without other people's voices in your head and then start to start to collaborate. Right. Yeah. If you do it before then, it's kind of hard to communicate even what the idea is to someone. You know, it's like it might make sense inside your head, but inside your head, there's a lot of like hand waving and dots that are connected on gut instinct. And it's kind of hard to express it to another person. It has to be in some form that it's presentable. So the other person at least understands what you're going for and then can go straight to the heart of it or like find the weaknesses. And uh, it's there's got to be something there, though. I found in the pricing seminar, so just I just started the second session of the pricing seminar. At the beginning of each, I have a video called uh, Graceful Feedback because a huge piece of the experience is the communication between participants and myself in this Slack community. And I really want to get, it's so hard to, or I should say it's so easy to come across as dismissive or brusque or even mean in a text format where people don't have the body language, they're not seeing the facial expressions. Uh, so I, I take steps to, to remind people of that and to give them some tips about how to gracefully ask for feedback, how to gracefully give feedback, and how to gracefully accept or reject the feedback. It really, I feel like it really shows in the in the vibe and the collaboration in the community. Who knows if I hadn't posted that video, maybe everybody was already good at good at this, and I'm I'm the one that really needs to be reminded to, you know, not speak too quickly, not to not to like no hot takes. It's like a no hot takes rule. I explain to people if you want, if you're looking for feedback on something, uh, especially in this format, a text format, it's like start with the question, what is it that you're looking for feedback on? You know, you might be sending someone to a web page to give you feedback on my new homepage, but what are you looking for feedback on? Is it the design? Is it the color scheme? Is it the, the typography? Is it the headlines? Is it, are there pieces that you know aren't there yet? So don't waste your time giving me feedback on stuff that you should add this to the page. I know it's not there yet. Start with the question. I'm looking for feedback on this. And then perhaps if you have, if there's some backstory that's relevant, then put that in, but don't start with a huge backstory and then ask a question at the end and probably ask the question, type up the backstory and then delete the backstory because <laughs> we, people don't necessarily need it. And people have a tendency to like 
think out loud when they're looking for feedback and then before they really they say yeah, I need feedback I'm not sure when they just sort of type up 700 words of them thinking out loud and then at the end they're like oh I know what I need and they ask the question and they don't delete the 750 words uh, I, I've exited from a number of Facebook groups that were put on by organizations and because people just they're asking for feedback but they have these big long messages and then there's a big long queue I'm happy to be helpful, but then I don't want to hear like 50 people chiming in about stuff that where they're mean or they're thoughtless or they start down trying to sell their own stuff. It's like, who has time for that? Yeah. Focus. Yeah. So that's another thing that I see when people are asking for feedback is that so it's surprisingly common that somebody say, hey, I'd like to get your feedback on something and they type up you know, five paragraphs, and there's not one question mark in the entire thing. And if there is a question mark, it's at the very end, and it says thoughts, question mark. And I'm like, wow, this person spent a lot of time typing this up, there must be something really on their mind, but they literally didn't ask me a question, or they just asked me like thoughts. And uh, I'll take that. And again, this is like part of the graceful feedback thing, I'll reply and say, if you had to, a lot of times, if I get a huge, if somebody emails me a book, and I, I'll, first thing I do is scan it for question marks. If there's not a question mark, then they didn't ask me a question. So I'll reply and say, if you had to boil this down to one concise question, the most important question, what would it be? And, and they'll almost always reply with, yeah, you're sorry. I was just sort of brain dumping. Um, here's the question. And then I'll read the question and be like, okay. And then maybe I'll need to go back and read the backstory. But, you know, make sure you ask a question, make sure you don't overload the person with background information that's probably not relevant and make sure it's really clear what you're looking for feedback on, what area. And then there's, I have a big section on, on well, how to give graceful feedback, you know, like make sure you understand the question. If you're not 100% sure you understand what they're looking for, ask for clarification. When you do give feedback, try and stay away from, have you ever heard of E-Prime? E-Prime is like a... I don't think so. Yeah, it's, a, it's sort of a way of using the English language in certain contexts without the verb to be. Because if you respond to questions, somebody says, oh, um, what do you think of this website? And you say, uh, it, it's terrible. It is terrible. Well, that's like a godlike pronouncement that it's objectively terrible when in fact it's an opinion and it's in a text format. It's much easier to take the, the bad medicine when it's phrased without the verb to be. And you say something like, well, it's not, it, you know, I didn't like it. Or uh, when you when you go through this exercise of trying not to use the, the word is or, you know, just like pronouncing that it is a particular uh, way. Yes, the godlike pronouncement. Right. It's It makes the medicine go down a lot easier because it presents the information as what it really is, which is this one person's opinion. And uh, if somebody says something like... Um, you know, it's uh, it's better than the last one, or I loved it, or I hated it, uh, or whatever. Then it's presented subjectively, and then it can foster a conversation around, like, well, what did you hate? What didn't you like? It doesn't close the door to conversation. It's more like where, as if it's it is terrible. It just it's just a door slamming. It's like, all right, this person, you know, is not being helpful. Oh, but you know, in that example, if somebody said that to me, that would probably be a voice I wouldn't listen to. If they just said, this is terrible. I mean, because there's no context. There's no, it's like, well, this person either really thought it was terrible, but not enough to tell me why, or they just didn't care. 
about how I felt about their feedback, in which case they're not a voice I want to listen to. The reason why I go through the exercise is because in this sort of mobile, typing with your thumbs, lots of chaos going on, it's easy for people to kind of try to rush through and and not type up something thoughtful. It's sort of like a, the Twitterization of like conversations. So I, I remind them, it's like, be constructive. If you don't have something, you know, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything. And, and But like another thing that people will do is they'll use is, it is this way. And they'll use really short sentences. And sometimes they won't even use complete sentences. They'll imply the, they'll imply a lot of things like, uh, and I, I find myself doing it all the time, especially in email, because I'm always trying to fly through my email really quickly. And I'll leave out like, um, it's hard to think of off the top of my head, but when my fingers do it constantly, and I have to watch out for that, and I'll go back and put in like <laughs> the pronouns, like I'll leave out pronouns, you know, it's just like real short, yeah. it's almost like Morse code yeah. or like a telegram. And it, I think it's important when you're giving feedback to make it make it really clear because it's it's emotional. Like this is an emotional situation for people that are asking for feedback. They're making themselves vulnerable to a group of people. It's a situation that's ripe for a lot of knee-jerk reactions. So I think it's important to kind of be deliberative and uh, thoughtful and generous and, you know, respectful. All the, you know, all the things that would be normal, you would normally do in person anyway. I mean, this is all stuff that's really natural in person. But in a text format, it's, it's easy to uh, get a little too terse. We all know our shortcomings, right? I mean, what I do is I write out, if somebody asks me for feedback, I write it all out. As I'm like, if they say, give me feedback on like this page of my website. And so I might type, you know, I don't know, two or three short paragraphs, maybe. And then I go back. So I do all that without thinking about how they react to it. Just what's my reaction. And then I go back and say, okay, so how do I deliver this? Because just because I think this doesn't mean that's how I should deliver it. And then I adjust, adjust the wording. And that's a lot of work. It is. It's, it's why. A lot of times when, you know, you ask someone for feedback, they they may not give it to you. I mean, when I say someone, somebody that has a big audience and you say, oh, gee, can you give me your feedback on X? You may not get a response. But if you do get a response, it should be thoughtful. Right. Yeah, I just saw I just got an email the other day um, that I will link to in the show notes if it's also posted online. But it was I'm on a mailing list from this guy, Brian Kurtz, and he had a list of ways to politely decline requests for feedback and they were great oh really really good it was really nice stuff find that i think that'd be helpful Mm -hmm. he's a copywriter so naturally he's going to be good at this Um, but he also has a large audience so he probably gets requests like that all the time you know and it's it's along the lines of like i really appreciate you know you wanting to bring my my brain into the mix on this but i've got too many commitments right now i'm not going to be able to uh, respond, or I'm not going to be able to do that for you. And, you know, it's a, a series of those depending on the situation. It was, re- I thought it was really nice. Well, plus you get a response. I mean, the worst thing is when you ask somebody and you hear nothing back. I had somebody in my audience ask me for something that was really big. It was a really big ask, and in my head, I'm like, really? That's a really big ask. But I wrote back and I said, here's here's some resources that I think you should 
listen to or read first. And in fact, I referred him to, to this podcast and I gave him five specific episodes to listen to because I said, you need to listen to this first before you make decisions on some of these things. And he never responded. And then uh, two weeks later, I got a note and it turns out, it, at least I think, he never saw my email because based on his comment, it was almost like, well, gee, you know, won't you write back to me? And I felt terrible. I wouldn't want him to think that I just like ignored him. So I actually tracked him down in LinkedIn and sent him a note there, which I still haven't heard a response from, but at least I know he got it, right? So it's it's all in who you ask and how you ask, who you ask, how you ask, how likely you are to get the response back that you want. Mm-hmm. There's a, a beat that we haven't touched on here that I think it's a Seth Godin thing where when you do ask for feedback or someone asks you for feedback and then the other party replies and it's thoughtful and, and you feel like you've you're understanding each other, but there's still, you just disagree. Like, it's not that you're not, it's not that you're misunderstanding each other. It's like you understand each other, but you just disagree about the advice. Yeah, it's definitely Seth. Cause he says, uh, it's, it's just not for you. Like, okay, it's not for you. He's really big on like picking the minimum viable audience, the smallest possible audience, 10 people, two people and create something valuable to them and work your way up from there. And if you do a really good job of it, they're going to spread the word for you automatically. But eventually, people who are outside of the ideal buyer, if you will, or the target of the idea, like the person who you're trying to reach, they, the, the target audience, I guess, eventually someone outside of that audience is going to get the message and they're going to have all of this feedback that, that is because they're the wrong listener or hearer or reader or whatever. They're just the, they're just the wrong fit. They're not your people. Right. They're not your people. Exactly. So, um, it's, I think it's really important from an energy standpoint to just have that sort of line ready for you. It's like, you know, this isn't for everyone. It's not for you. That's totally, that's totally cool. There's something else for you. Not get into like a debate about why you're not going to make the change that they're suggesting. Cause that's, that's another thing that I think is pretty important. It's like, if you ask, especially if you ask for feedback from, from a group or, you know, it doesn't matter. It could be a lot of people are, are, are a single person. If they take the time to get back to you and they were thoughtful and you feel like you understood each other and then you don't take action, I feel I I personally think it's really important to let them know, I get this, I understand where you're coming from. I decided not to act on it for these reasons. And uh, so that it's not like, I don't know, I feel like they deserve that. I feel like that's pretty important to close the loop there. I might disagree with that a little bit. I mean, I would say up to a point. I mean, the example I would say is where somebody asks you for very pointed advice and you give it to them and then they write back telling you the 47 reasons why they can't do that. I find that really, I find that really irritating. It's like, uh, I don't want to get in a, a further discussion with you about this. You asked me my opinion. I gave it to you. If you don't like it, that's okay. I'm not offended, but don't tell me the 47 reasons why it won't work. That just drives me crazy. It is helpful to close the loop. That's why I'm, I think there's a there's a line in there somewhere. I'm not sure exactly where, where we draw it. Yeah, I totally agree. You're right, because that drives me nuts too. When I was saying that, it was more something I do. It's not something I expect someone to do for to me. So as someone, if, if I ask someone for advice, but you know what, it would be, so if I did that, if in a situation like that, in in reality, it's usually people who are who I are in my circle, my tight circle. 
and they'll say like, oh, you should really do this. I'm like, mm, I see where you're coming from, but uh, I can't, I don't want to do that for these reasons. I get that all the time, like about my website, because I have all of these web designers in my circle and my website is very unconventional in terms of like general best practices for a website. And it's totally intentional, completely on purpose. So when, you know, if I ask somebody, say I wouldn't ask for somebody for feedback for my website, but um, I might ask for feedback on, on a particular landing page or a sales page or a product page or something like that. And if they, if they went beyond what I asked for, I was like, you know, you should put more images on there or like color is kind of boring, you know, looks like a word document. And then I'd say, yeah, I know, you know, I know, but that's, you know, I'm not, I'm going to leave it like that on purpose. And it's not like, but you're right. There is that flip side where someone asks for you, for my advice. And then I'm like, well, based on what you told me, uh, I would do these couple of things or, you know, these, these are the three action items I see. We'll see if they come back to me with 47 reasons why they're not going to do it. Uh, I feel like that's, they stopped listening instead of saying like, well, why would I do that? Second one seems weird. How, how would that work? There's a conversation still going on, but if they come back with 47 reasons why I'm wrong, then it's like, okay, you, you basically were just looking for validation and, and to your horror, shock and horror, you, you know, some, you found someone who cut to the center of it perhaps, and you didn't like that. And now your defense mechanisms are going up so that you're, you're absolutely right. There is that there's a line in there somewhere. You know what it is? I, I realized as you were saying that it's like a sliding scale based on your relationship with the person. So if it's somebody really close to you whose opinion generally you really value, you're going to want to go back to them and say, you know, this is why I just want to be clear. I want to close the loop. You know, you, it's like you're you're clearing the relationship, if you will, versus somebody who's from an extended part of your circle. And I'm saying circle in the biggest possible sense, who's coming in looking for validation. Um you know, I've had people who said, you know, maybe I want to work with you. Here's my situation. What do you think? And, and I've been, you know, constructive, I've given them constructive feedback and, you know, they're like, no, like, oh, okay, that's fine. Uh, But I don't want to hear the 47 reasons why not. It's like, no, that's not a fit for me. I understand completely. You see what I'm saying? It's, I think it's the sliding scale based on how you feel or how close you are with that person. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that is where it, cause that's like, like scrolling back through my experience and it, that does seem to be the common theme. I'm pretty sure we're, we've missed something. We have. And I don't know if you run into this at all, but I run into this a lot and it's tricky. It's the role of your spouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Bring it on. Do I dare? Do I dare roll, roll into this? So a lot of my strategy projects are very personal. You know, because it's it's about the brand for their business and their personal brand. And so as part of the strategy, we've got a strategy and then we have an action plan where it's, you know, step one, step two, step three. Here's how you're going to roll this out. And inevitably, the client shares that with their spouse. Of course, they're going to. Why wouldn't they? And I think you have to decide the role of your spouse's influence on those things. So, for example... I, what I want to hear from a spouse in those kinds of projects is I want to hear, do they feel like I got their husband or their wife correctly? Is there anything that's out of alignment? Because typically nobody knows you as well as your spouse. So I love getting that feedback from the spouse, especially if, God forbid, we miss something that's important. 
what drives me insane is when we're doing the rollout and the spouse has an opinion about the color. Or I had one spouse who was an engineer who kind of fancied himself a writer. And so he he would edit my website copy. I had just had to shut that down. <laughs> it's like, you know, right up front, you had to shut that down. But so I think it's helpful if you really think about what role does your spouse's opinion play and in which areas of your business and your brand does their opinion matter most? Yes, 100%. In my intake form for private coaching, I have two questions on there. Are you single? What's your marital situation? And do you have any business partners? Because both of those things need special handling. And if the other person's, you know, the spouse or the business partner has uninformed feedback about something that I've been working with the student for, for months on and is backed by research into the market and, you know, a million things. And then they have like a knee jerk reaction to something that is, you know, basically they're reopening a can of worms that's, that's been put to bed. It's like, it's very counterproductive, but I love the, I love your angle on, on things like, I don't know if to call it big picture or most foundational. It's like either, either super the highest level or the lowest level, one or the other where I don't want to say brand, but like, but that sort of, that sort of feel like the authentic voice, the real person. It's uh, a positioning. Yeah. Mm-hmm, right. Is this track? Did, did we miss anything? Is there anything we could have missed? Does this make sense? I, I would, I've never uh, explicitly asked for that kind of feedback from from a close partner, but that's a good idea. I think that makes a lot of sense, and it gives them input into this into the thing, without being like, "Could you make the logo bigger?" You know, tough stuff like that. Well, and sometimes uh, I have clients with grown children who who have feedback, and so and the feedback doesn't come directly to me; it comes you know through the the client. But it's people who love you right, are going to have an opinion. And it's not always, you know, the best opinion for you. But usually they have your, you know, your best interests at heart. The question is whether they can also make those decisions. I mean, I, one time I worked uh, with a client pretty extensively, and he was local. And so he invited me to a, a party at his home. And I was, I was really excited to get to meet his wife. I walked in and I, I finally found her in, an, in another room and she came running across the room, threw her arms around me and said, I love what you've done with my husband. And these <laughs> women next to her, their mouths dropped open. <laughs> but it was it was wonderful, right? <laughs> that was a moment, you yeah. know? Wow. Yeah, but it's, yeah, that was pretty, pretty, pretty spectacular. Grand slam. But, yeah, but it's it's yeah, it's figuring out how to how to get that feedback and how to sometimes um, hang tough in the opposition. I had one client many years ago say, I really respect what you've come up with, but my wife differs 100 percent with your advice she's my wife. <laughs> I'm going with her. And I, I, I said, okay, okay. You know, I mean, how can you argue with that? But you have to, I think you really have to think about what you ask your spouse for, depending on what they're good at. But they're, they always, typically, I shouldn't say always, that's, that's a broad generalization. If you have, if you're in a committed partnership with another person, they hopefully have your best interests at heart and they want to see you succeed. Right. 
Exactly. Yeah, that's a great way to come into it. It's like if they do, if they're if they're disagreeing with, you know, if it's if it's me and a student and their spouse and there's a disagreement, it's all from the right place. It's just perhaps not everybody knows the same things, but everybody's got the person in the middle's best interests at heart. It's a really, really important thing to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've yet to run across anybody who, who didn't. Um, and I'm not saying, I mean, obviously there, there are spouses out there who are not ideal, but I just find that in the clients I've worked with, their spouses are on the team and I, I may not ever speak to them or I might, you know, I'm like, like this time, you know, I've, I've met a few of the spouses in person and they are invariably supportive of, of their spouse being successful. I can think of two situations where even though that was true, they weren't on board with the idea of their spouse, my student, even hiring me in the first place, like, like super pragmatic bottom line sorts of, which is a perfectly valid worldview. Uh, and just be like, what do you need that for? That sort of thing. And that's too much money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I've had, I've had that happen. In fact, I had one client tell me not to tell, he it introduced me to a spouse in another setting and said, uh, do not speak of what I spent on you. And I said, it's confidential. I'm not ever going to talk about anything we talked about with anybody else. It was, I said, okay. Yeah. I've had similar. Yeah. And, and the opposite too. I mean, you've got people who are like, I don't know if I really need this, but my spouse says it's time for me to get some help with this. And so I'm, I'm ready. So, so all I'm saying is it's kind of like the elephant in the room. It's like if you've got a committed partner in your life, whether that's business or personal, they've got a voice. And you better it, listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying any more to that one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, so that's funny because we started at the what I would consider the bottom of the totem pole, which is the the troll, and then all the way up to probably the most important voice, which is the spouse. It most important in terms of like you can't filter that out. You need to put it in context, <laughs> no. certainly, but ignoring it's probably not an option. At your peril. At your peril. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Is that? Uh, do you think we covered everything? Oh yeah. Yeah, I, th- I had to get the spouse into the ring there. But yeah, I think I think we're good. Awesome. All right. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.